everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Paul May from BuzzStream. Paul, how are we doing today? Great. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. So, Paul, why don't you give the audience um, a little background on yourself and you know what you're up to today? Sure. Um, so, I have been in the startup world for pretty much my entire career, either starting companies or working in very early stage companies for close to 20 years now. Um, about six years ago, my background is uh, um, I'm an MBA and then went and have been working in tech companies since then. About six years ago, um, I uh, started BuzzStream with a, a guy, Jeremy Benkin. Jeremy had started a company called ApartmentRatings.com before that. Now, Apartment Ratings is if you're trying, it's basically Yelp for finding an apartment. Uh, and so, a big part of of getting found in his market was long tail search, um, find an apartment in, and then just fill in the, the city. And what he realized very quickly. Um, after he got past the basics of SEO, the on-page and the site architecture, um, after the and, and the kind of fundamental blocking and tackling of building links at the time, um, the, the thing that drove his business more than anything else was what looked like PR, um, and, or SEO PR, was trying to get people to write about him, talk about him, at the time almost exclusively to drive links so he could rank on those terms. And um, doing that, there was just a lack of tools for keeping track of all that activity. Um, specifically, researching influencers, researching pubs, trying to figure out whether they're a good fit, um, then keeping track of all your interactions with them, and then conducting outreach in, with them in a way that's personalized, relevant, relationship-based ideally, and still scales. And so that's really what we set out to build with BuzzStream, was to build effectively a, um, a CRM system built for building and ma managing relationships with influencer, influencers and publishers. And so that's what I've been doing over the last six years. Got it. So BuzzStream, um, so yeah, I mean, how's, how's BuzzStream doing today? I mean, how many users do you have? You know, how long did it take you to get to, you know, you said six years. I mean, I've answered yeah. that for myself. Anyway. Um, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so we have, as far as users in the system, there's over 5,000 active users or 5,000 users in active accounts on, on a regular basis. There's thousands logging into the system. Um, uh, we, as far as how we're doing, we're doing really well. We've, we've uh, doubled every year for the past three years. Um, and we're on path to continue doing that. I, this is a big year for us. We, this is a year where we think that we can really ramp up growth on a, on a much bigger base. So things are going well. It, it, uh, it took a while to get here, um, but uh, yeah, things are, things are in a very good spot now. Wow, it sounds super exciting, and I'm glad to see where you guys are now. I mean, I, I've you know been tracking you guys since you first started, so it's good to hear. Um, how did you guys, you know, I always like to ask a question, how did you guys get your first 100 users? Okay, so uh, interesting path. We started out, we launched in beta um, about 12 months after, uh, nine months after we started the company. Um, this was back in the days when, so we got coverage very early on from people, niche pubs in the SEO space, as well as uh, some of the big pubs. So 
in the SEO space, people like Outspoken Media, um, Search Engine Land, Search Engine Week, you, or uh, Search Engine Watch, et cetera, et cetera. And then the bigger pubs like TechCrunch, Mashable, guys like that. Um, from that, we and we had built at the time, you had to build your own. We built a, a system for giving beta invites. Um, by doing that, we were able to create some scarcity, and that drove a lot of people into our beta. So we had, right off the bat, a couple thousand people who were, who were doing our beta. We were head, heads down working on product development, um, just trying to get the product from beta down to completion. So we weren't engaged that much with the users at that point. We were, I mean, I was doing a lot of customer calls, but not nearly as much as I started doing after we launched out of beta. So we, we had our beta, had a couple thousand customers in there, um, launched uh, in, as behind a paywall, and it was crickets. I mean, nothing. So, I mean, so bad that we had an outage one time. It's one of these things where the site goes down, everybody, there's, at the time there's only four of us, we're losing our minds, just absolutely scared shitless that our site's down, and then after about an hour and a half, we realized that nobody has complained. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, things were just not, that, that was one of the points where we were near death. Um, we just kept plugging away at it and kept, you know, working at it. And what, what ended up happening was a couple things. One, we started engaging really, really closely with the customers who did stick around and who were excited about the product. Um, and what we saw was there, there were some early adopters who we thought were really smart that we just, we gave them a ton, a ton of love. Um, and it was, we, first of all, we liked them. We thought they were smart. They, they cared about what we were doing and we really wanted to make them successful. So at that point, we probably had 30, 40 really strong, strong customers um, that were heavily involved in the product. Nature of our business, as you know, people move around a lot. They ended up moving. As an example, two of our early customers, Patty Boogan was at Penn Digital. And Penn Digital is an agency in the UK. Nobody knew who Patty was. Mm -hmm. Adria Saraceno was at eLocal. Um, she, was, she was new to the game as well. Both of those people we got were early customers. We thought they were really smart. They were using the product. They were giving us a ton of feedback. Patty ended up at Distilled in the UK. Adria ended up at Distilled in Seattle. We ended up with Distilled as a customer. They ended up promoting us. More than anything else early on, the biggest driver of, of um, sign-ups for us was community and influencers. It was building um, relationships with people who we thought were smart. They weren't even necessarily influential, and then expanding out. From there, what happened was we started getting much more involved in the community. We started attending events. Um, we started just doing, you know, much more involved in social. We started going to conferences, and we met a ton of people through that. And then from that, those things just organically turned into, uh, just organically grew the funnel in a big way. Got it. So. You know, it's funny, like when you, I mean, when you go to conferences, I, when, you, when you bring Buzzstream to conferences, you know, what are you doing exactly? Do you have any goals set in place or anything like that? Because I feel like a lot of people just go to conferences and they just end up taking out their phone and sitting in a corner. 
Yeah, we definitely don't do that. My whole attitude with conferences is um, we don't try to sell. Um, we are there to meet people and listen and learn. We have fun. Like I, you know, I that conferences are like the one time I've got two kids. I get to go out of town. My the best times that I have and the things that are the best for our business happen at the bar. Um, you know, we. We're meeting tons of people. We don't talk about the product particularly. Even when people bring it up, I just try to get away from it. It is a time to just just build those relationships. Eventually, they're going to either come to the product or they're not. And if they come to the product, they're either going to use it and it's going to, they're going to find value in it or they're not. I don't. There's no point in trying to pitch it. All it does is make you seem like a you know somebody people don't want to be around. Mm -hmm. So. Us, it is we we definitely are looking like we know the community pretty well, so we're looking to see who's out there and trying to we're we're looking at saying oh oh wow we really need to meet that guy, but we're not trying to meet that person to pitch them. We're just trying to network as much as possible. Got it. So you say I mean you know we got the first one hundred you know the first one hundred users out. So now you are you're at the you know you're in the thousands range. I mean what are you doing today that's really been working for you? So now, um, almost all of it, the things that we do are earned media. Um, we do very little paid, and the paid that we do is designed to amplify and support the, the earned media. Um, but it really boils down to two big things. We're doing content pieces, so we're doing regular blogging and then big content, you know, it's content marketing, some big content pieces, and then... Um, the, and those drive huge leads for us. They're really, really effective for us. And then we'll support those campaigns with outreach, um, with social, and with some pay. So as an example, we did a, an ebook about three months ago. We're getting ready to do another one. It's called Linking Outside the Box. Um, it was a, a, a group uh, piece. So it had like 10 people who contributed which is a great thing because then we're leveraging their built-in audiences as well because they're promoting it. Um, but we put that out there. We put that actually behind an email sign-up. Um, so we did that about a week before we launch it. I reach out to the contributors, thank them directly. We identify kind of our network, people who we know that are fans of ours, who are friends of the firm, people who we've promoted a lot. And each of us does a little outreach in advance, gets them the book in advance so that they can see it, provide us feedback on it. We put that feedback back into the document, and then we have a launch, and we do a little bit of push in a few ways. One, we do Twitter ads. Um, those for us are by far the most effective for uh, pumping up or amplifying our paid campaigns. And so we'll, we'll identify, you know, like 10 people. Um, I think in the last one we did people like, Ross Hudgens and uh, Will Reynolds and Patty and a few others, and we target their audiences for Twitter ads. And so people who follow them get an ad at the top that says something like, uh, in case you missed it, Buzzstream's new uh, content book, Linking Outside the Box, and, and that drives a lot of traffic into the site and a lot of downloads. Those are the primary ways that we drive traffic, and then once we get people in, or drive leads, once we get people in, we have an automated email flow to, to engage them and try to get them to, you know, uh, either get a, a demo or get a walkthrough or a personalized, you know, training. 
Got it. So for these these Twitter ads, I mean, um, can you reveal kind of what the engagement numbers and the cost per cost per engagement is? You know, just to give the, the audience an idea of what they can expect or what you've seen. Yeah, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I know there's a blog post about it. Um, duh, 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 duh. Um, you know what? While we're talking, I will Skype Matt Gratt and he will send it back to me. But I don't know off the top of my head. Sorry. Got it. Matt's a great guy. Tell him I said hi. Um, cool. Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting because uh, Sean Ellis, who runs Qualaru, he was like, yeah, I was testing Twitter ads, and he was paying I don't know, like maybe um, I think it was two cents a click, or maybe even it was two cents or twenty cents. I mean, that's a big difference, but they're relatively cheap because he was targeting you know super influential tech people, and he's like, okay, I put an image here, I put a link here, and then you know a few other things, and it worked out really well. So. That's something we haven't actually tested a lot of. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of Facebook ads and things like that. So it's actually really interesting and refreshing to hear that people are trying different ways of uh, different ways of promotion. So um, you know, when you guys, I mean, for that specific campaign, um, you know, how much you know how much money are you allocating per promotion? Very little, um, I think. And again, I'll have to look to see what the actual numbers were. Mm -hmm. But I think we spent way less than five hundred dollars for promotion in paid promotion for that. Got it. Paid in general for us, I mean, we have spent over the life of this business just so little money. It's and we're we're ramping it up this year. This is a year where we'll actually actually have more spend. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, that's it's a very small amount. I just sent a link. We were actually on Twitter's. Uh, yeah, there was a case study on Twitter's website uh, about us, and it has the numbers in it. So cool. I will definitely check it out. Okay. Um, so you mentioned, you know, big content. You know, can you give the audience an idea of what big content is exactly and why it's worth investing into it? Yeah, I mean, um, boy, defining it for us, what it means is we're putting out eBooks that um, we're investing heavily in them. Um, anywhere from ten to, you know, we'll we'll likely see some that will be upwards of twenty thousand um, dollars. They are. You know, very. They can be 50, 60 pages. The one that we're working on right now is, I think, right now 60 pages. We'll edit it back, but it's it's a big book. Um, it goes into, you know, we, we try to differentiate it in one of a number of ways: design, very high design, um, really detailed content on a specific topic. That's also really effective for search, right? Somebody searching for mm -hmm. advanced content promotion or how to do content promotion, we want that to show up. Um, but it's, you know, we do the regular blog posts that are, you know, a thousand words um, and, and we're pushing those out once to twice a week. But these are meant to be evergreen, driving traffic long term. We're still getting 20 downloads of that ebook, uh, I, you know, probably daily, maybe not quite that much, but it's, we're getting a lot. Of downloads on a daily basis, um, they're meant to be big pieces that we can put or have a link to on our homepage. And and basically, if, like if you look at um, oh, who is it? D -d 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 I can't think of it. The landing page company, they'll have a page. Unbounce. That, yeah, unbounce. Um, they've got a page of here's how they for us. Like we're all about uh, earn media content promotion. Um, more specifically, things like the online PR, digital PR, link building, things like that. We want to build, you know, foundational pieces for these in these areas. 
So that's what they're really about. Our goal is just to create these evergreen pieces that are going to drive leads and signups long term. Got it. Okay. Perfect. And I like how you revealed, you're able to reveal, you know, how much it costs because sometimes, you know, people think these big content, you know, efforts could be really half-assed. I mean, you, you got to spend to really, you know, get where you want to be. Um, you can so- do them cheaper. I mean, we've done 10,000, but you can just do really good ones for, and a lot of it depends on the space you're in. You can do them for three, five thousand $5,000, but uh, can't do it for free. It, yeah. it, it's their time or money. You've got to really invest in it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so you actually wrote a post on content marketing fairy dust. Can you kind of explain what you what you meant by that? Yeah. Um, there's just been a lot of talk. It's it's kind of t- it's it's trailing off some now, but there's just this. Uh, you know, Rand actually had a post, or I, I saw him speak at Search Love, um, and what he said was, the the best link building tool is the publish button. And um, and a lot of people just glommed onto that and started saying, yeah, you can just publish, you just focus on building great content. Well, that's fine and all um, if you have some gigantic brand or you have a huge budget to push it, um, but very few people do. It's, and it's, so it's unrealistic. And it's getting more unrealistic because everybody and their mother is talking about content marketing. So now you're competing against more and more content. Um, and so the idea that you're just going to click the pu- publish button and, you know, magically you're just going to have people, you know, flocking to your content is just totally unrealistic. And so really my point was, and, and I, you know, I, I, there are lots of examples of really top-notch content that just fail miserably because they had not put any thought into how is this going to get found. Mm-hmm. And so my point with that post was you need to think through. And, and the other thing is, is people aren't thinking about that. Because they're not thinking about how they're going to promote content, that provides you with an opportunity to really differentiate and how to get and to really get in front of it. So if you can pair your content creation with community development and effective outreach campaigns, you are way ahead of the curve. Um, so that really was my point with that post. Got it. Okay. And, you know, something just popped up in my head. I mean, just backtracking a little bit to the YouTube ads uh, for the audience. So were you, are you using the new Twitter lead gen cards or are you just running typical ads? Just the ads. Okay. We have not done the Twitter lead gen cards or Twitter, yeah, whatever they're called, the Twitter cards. Got it. Okay, cool. So I guess expanding a little more on the, on the content marketing fairy dust. I mean, this kind of segues into, you know, what the, st- the state of content marketing is today, right? You know, people think, you know, I could just write, you know, some content here and there, but I, I feel like there's... You know, you're saying there's a lot more crap that's that's starting to rise up. So, what do you what do you think the state of content marketing is in, in, in today? Um, I think right now what people are thinking, particularly on, among the SEO community, is um, the SEO community has been so focused on not creating things that are real for a very long time. The content, both Penguin and Panda, that was a a great shakeup for the industry. And what it did that was good was it forced people to focus on just being better on the content side. But but I think two things haven't happened as much as they need to. The first is, is really thinking about content, how it ties into the overall marketing funnel. It's just like, I'm going to go create a good piece of content. Well, really, you need to look at it and say, this is how, you know, this is the customer. 
this is how they buy, this is the full life cycle and this is their full cycle, how they go from awareness down to an actual customer to loyal mm -hmm. um, and, and be everywhere that they are basically digital ubiquity across that funnel. And so I don't think that that's happened yet. It's been more about just create pieces and just hope that I get a lot of traffic to it without really thinking through the whole, how do I get my, how do I own the customer throughout the process? Mm -hmm. So that's one piece. The other thing that I don't think has been done is understanding, is, is really thinking in terms of relationships. So, and I think that what we, if you look at what happened with guest posts, that's, that's the perfect example. Mm -hmm. Link building, old school link building got slammed. So what did people do? They came up with a new way to basically build a, a, a link network. It's just a guest post network. Find as many as you can, send out emails. Don't think in terms of who are the bloggers behind those websites. Just think of them as targets. I just want to find blogs that accept guest posts. Not I want to you know, figure out my, understand my community, build those relationships so that I can leverage them. This stuff is hard. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I particularly if I'm working at an agency, that's a hard, hard thing. And I, I don't, I'm not minimizing how much work it takes. And in many cases, it may not even be realistic for the type of clients you have, or it may not even be the right thing. But for a lot of businesses, I think the SEO community is still thinking in terms of just um, targets and create content. And what it needs to really be is funnel, understand the customer understand who reaches them and build those relationships with, with both of them. And I, I totally agree with you. I mean, coming from an agency background, that, that's one thing. I mean, we run an agency, I run an agency right now, right? The, the big issue is how do we make promotions better, right? I mean, you and I, you have your friends, you've built up relationships in the past. Like I could tap into these relationships that I've built up over years, right? Um, for agencies, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to go build these relationships in all these different niches. And, you know, magically, I'm going to get all these crazy links for you or, you know, traffic, whatever it is. It's just not that easy. And it, it's, it's freaking hard. Um, so I totally agree with you there. And I think a tool like BuzzStream at least makes the process a lot easier, which in turn makes you more, gives you more relationships and helps you make more money at the end of the day. So that, that's kind of what I'm taking away from it. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit, you know, before, before we actually hopped into the interview, you talked a little bit about the, the lean startup methodology and kind of what your guys' take is on this. So can you kind of explain to the audience what lean startup is and, you know, where, what your position is to that? Yeah, so the, the, there's a lot to lean, uh, the lean startup methodology and lean startup thinking, but at its heart is the idea that the most important thing is that you build a business that um, is designed for learning. Um, so you want to build, you want to build um, a methodology and everything you do is designed to understand the customer um, and as you create software, you want software that's um, able to measure how people use it to where you're understanding what's working, what's not, and you can adapt quickly. And so the, the overline, the, 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 at, at its heart, it's build for learning. Um, which is awesome. That's great. We do. We've done, and, and you know, lots of things that you do. Like you want to be deploying software and shipping a lot. Like we ship almost every, almost daily. It's now it's about twice a week, but we can ship or we can push stuff to production anytime, and we do it all times of the day and that sort of stuff. That's good because you'll put things out there. 
then ideally you want to be measuring, well, are people using this new feature? How are they using it? Are they sticking with it? Where are they getting, lo drop, getting lost? Things like that. That's where I think lean methodology is really effective. The, um, the things where, as is the case with all of these, um, these methodologies or anytime something like this catches on, a lot of times I think people view them as dogma or they get religious about it. You know, it's, it's the lean methodology religion, and, or lean startup religion, and that's where I think things go off the rails. So you start hearing things like, well, you got to fail, so you put things out there, you measure, and if people don't bite, um, you get, you know, you just you move on. Um, and I don't think that's what people like Eric Rise, who was one of the, the people who first started pushing or talking about lean methodology, lean startup really were thinking of, but that's what I think a lot of people have taken from it. And in my experience, um, if we had gone for a fail fast uh, mentality, we would have died. Um, and we've, we're doing pretty well now, but the reality was, you know, we started two and a half, we, we had a fundamental business thesis, which was that Google was going to get better and better about understanding what, what a real link was versus what a fake one was. And their algorithm was going to get smarter and smarter. And as a result, SEOs in particular were going to have to get better and better about doing real, you know, link building or real activities to get links, link acquisition. And the old stuff was going to fade away. Um, the problem is, is that Google took about two years of just having, I mean, not doing anything about the spam. And so people just kept going with that. And so if we had gone with a lean, a lean startup mentality, we would have looked at it and said, well, it's just not working, right? So we better just kill the business. Mm -hmm. um, and so you get into the situation where it's just, it becomes a question of belief. And we believed in our business thesis. It was hard. That's not the only reason we stuck around. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Um, but at some level, you just have to have faith. Um, and so... At the micro level, like, is this feature good? Is it working? Yeah, lean makes a lot of sense. I don't think you pivot, and people talk pivot all the time. And pivot's great. Pivot off, you, my take though is, is you pivot off a, a, a feature, you don't pivot off your business thesis, unless you never believe to, the, to begin with. But once you believe in your thesis, which should happen before you ever start building a line of code, um, then I think, you know, you, you, you buy in until you feel very strongly that you just got it wrong. So that, that's my take on lean. Got it. Okay, cool. And, and I mean, you kind of you had, a, you had an interesting uh, phrase, you know, the, the anti-fail fast uh, type of methodology. So I, I think that's, you know, that, that's, that's something interesting to think about. Um, so, you, you know, earlier you kind of alluded to, um, you know, being on the edge of death a few times. I mean, can you share one of those experiences and kind of what you learned from it exactly? <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, that's one. No, it, it's um, we we started the company, we bootstrapped it, or we self-funded it. Me and Jeremy, um, we it took longer than we thought to get product out the door, um, and then it didn't take off. We were just burning, just burning through cash. Um, that eventually led to um, us splitting as partners. We're still we still you know have a really good relationship, but just didn't make sense to have two people in the business at that time. Um, and so we got to the point where, you know, uh, I had uh, somebody I'd worked with in the past bought Jeremy's part of the business out. 
um, he's a, an investor and then I run the business and then we kept going. It's still, we were at the point where we just weren't far enough along and we kept burning. Um, and it got to the point to where, I mean, I would go to sleep at one in the morning because um, I was just working nonstop. I'd wake up three o'clock in the morning just, oh my God, what am I doing? And at five o'clock in the morning, I was back up working. And I, I've got two kids, so I was dealing with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it got to the point where I had to pull money out of personal savings um, to make payroll. Um, and that's, that's a high, high stress uh, experience. You know, the, the biggest thing I'd say I've, I've learned from this, there's a couple things. One, initially, um, make sure you fund appropriate, appropriately for the business. Bootstrap strap isn't right, venture isn't right, it's whatever is appropriate for the business. Like there are people who talk about, well, I would never get venture funding, I'd never, you know, other people who are like, yeah, bootstrapping's too hard. It's really about how big is the market opportunity and what's it going to take to get there. Um, we underfunded. Not by a lot, but enough to where it created, if I look at the biggest mistakes we made early on, most of them were tied to not raising enough money. That's one thing. The other thing that I learned is that, um, and this is a really good thing about bootstrapping, which I do think starting out with less money is a good thing. It really, really teaches you the value of every dollar. Like, I mean, we we think even today we're we're cash flow positive, we're profitable, and every single dollar that goes out, it just it's like a natural reflex because we went through it to think like, well, do we really need to spend that? Is there a cheaper way? How's it going to drive revenue? Mm -hmm. So we, we just early on, we just kept thinking, oh, we need to keep building. We need to keep building. No, we need to spend more. And there's time. And we started delivering our best code when we had to let people, you know, we, we had three develop, two developers and one of the developers had to go. Once it got down to one of us, we didn't let him go. He just got to the point where he's like, I, you know, I got to go get a safer wow. job. It was the two of us, and it, you just get really, really small like that. You get really, really focused. So it was down to literally just you and the developer. Yeah, I mean, we got, uh, you know, two years in, we got to the point where it was three of us, and or three of us and a marketer. Um, and then it was down to the three of us, two developers, and we we had kind of built this company, the three of us together, and so we had a we had a real camaraderie and a real, I I, I we just it felt like our company, and so I had to go to these guys and say, look, this is where we are. We got this much money. We have a choice. I I said I'm gonna just not pay myself right now. Um, we have a choice. We can either go another month um, with uh, you know, paying you guys what we're paying, you know, which was not a full salary, but it was pretty close. Um, and then that, that'll give, basically give one month severance to one of you, or we can just find a way to try to stick this out and see if we can make it happen. And the developer said, yeah, let's cut our pay down to, and see if we can give ourselves three more months. And after three months, revenue was picking up, but not enough. Um, so that the one developer said, "Yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. I'm going to go ahead and get a job." We helped him. I, I know a lot of people in town. We helped him uh, land in another place, and it was down to the two of us. And it was just uh, at that. It was a. It was a, a, For a little while, it was really, really dark and depressing. But then all of a sudden, it was like, you know what? It's on us. We can make this happen. And 
we started to see more soft, even better getting out the door. It got us more focused. It forced me because we were so, so small. I had to get outside my comfort zone and start engaging with the market in a much bigger way, reaching out to pubs. reaching out. It's almost like not for the fact that we were failing. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, there's always, you know, those epic stories when your back's against the wall and that's when you really like go all in and, and really do your best work. And you know, that's when things really start clicking, I think. So, I mean, you know, where you, I mean, in terms of employee size today, how many full-time employees do you guys have? There's nine of us and we are still growing. So we just nice. added two people and I suspect we'll, well, we'll probably add one more in the short, short term and add some contract help as well. Nice. Cool. Congratulations on that. Uh, you know, so you, you, said, you mentioned you have an MBA, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of articles out there. You know, Mark Cuban's like, uh, you know, I, I use, you know, I, I wipe my ass with MBAs or whatever. I mean, what's your take <laughs> on that? Uh, I think some of that's true, actually. I mean, I think... Uh, for me, it was. I think all these things are well. It depends, right? It's yeah. like I don't think there are any hard and fast rules. And for me, it was the right thing, right, right time. I mean, I had an undergrad in history. I really, I, I was, you know, managing a bar. Um, I was. I took some programming courses and thought I was going to go to programming. Uh, go return to an undergrad and get an engineer software development degree. Looked into it and. It was the same. It was going to take me less time to get an MBA, so I figured I'd get an MBA and um, in, in IT, and it took me into where I am. Um, and I took a bunch of programming courses. At heart, I'm a product guy. I like I like doing product management. That's mm-hmm. what I love, love, love to do. Um, I don't think it matters. With you know the the business, the MBA gives me some really good skills. If I look back and at my classes. Um, and said, do I use these specific things? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Do I understand marketing really, really well and, and understand product or kind of the, the understanding the customer side of marketing really well because of my MBA? Yeah, it helped me a lot. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think you need an MBA to be successful in our business, that's for sure. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and I think it does have a use, its uses. I mean, it's, it's like you said, right? Everything, you know, it depends, right? You look at the lead yeah. methodology, it depends. Um, so certainly I, I agree with that. And, <laughs> you know, those are the two most powerful words of the day, I think. Um, so, you, you know, let's let's say, you know, let's, let's put yourself in, you know, maybe an agency or let's just say I made an infographic, right? The infographics on plumbing. So how would you go out there and, you know, you have no relationships with any plumbers, interior designers, whatever. How would you go out there and promote it? Okay, so you've got a piece um, in a not particularly exciting category um, that I'm going to try to promote. So things that I would think about for starters. So I like to look at things. So there's always the obvious segments that you can go after, okay? Um, If somebody has a website on do-it-yourself plumbing, they may very well be a good, you know, source or resource for this infographic or somebody who you can promote this guide to. But you can start looking outside of that or at, at, uh, at segments that surround it to get a better sense of it. So I would look at things like um, sick codes to find out what does plumbing fit into? What is it a type of? 
Um, what are types of plumbing? What are other segments similar to it? So the example I've given a lot about is like if I was doing a sprinkler system, I'd start and I a sprinkler system design guide or you know app that did that, and I would want to promote it. Well, obviously landscapers is gonna is gonna be a good fit for that, but if I look at sick codes, I'm gonna see that landscape design is part of a category which is design. I can see that it's also part of architectural design because landscape design is a subcategory of architectural design. Mm -hmm. So um, I can go across and see that does interior designers care about this or care about this category. Um, uh, these are all resources. You, you start looking above and below to start building out different segments that will be interested in it. And then I, I, I build out from there. So if I was looking at a plumber, for starters, I would think, okay, what are what is plumber a type of? It's type of repair or you know home repair. Mm -hmm. um, it's a type of home design. You know it's it, plumbing not necessarily, but if it's create you know uh, plumbing parts, I, it depends what the infographic is. But I can go up from there and I can say, okay, there's D, there's going to be a ton of DIY home sites that this might be interesting for, or useful for. It depends mm -hmm. on the type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I can look at it and say. Uh, plumbing, if it has something to do with doing it, uh, saving water, well then there's a green element to it that I can use. I just start looking for ways that I can expand out to it. Mm -hmm. And then for each of these, I try to build in my head like a, a very high level persona. What do these people care about? What's mm -hmm. the story that they're, how do they talk? How do they think? And then I think about what's my story for each of them. And then that leads to my email, right? That's my pitch. Mm -hmm. um, so if I was doing a green thing, it's like, hey, got this infographic that talks about, you know, creating, uh, building, whatever, something plumbing, and it covers um, picking plumbing equipment that is environmentally conscious. So, you know, something like that. It's not obviously a great example. You get the idea. That's going to be, I'm, I'm thinking very much about what do they care about. Mm -hmm. My pitch is going to be very targeted at that. And then I can build one template that I can then personalize for each person that I reach out to. So. Got it. I'm so, start. I think, you know, one of the problems I see, and what, this has actually been, you know, the, I don't know, the last three or four years, is that people tend to just blast out the same template. Um, it almost sounds like you need to add some element of um, personalization to it. But, you know, this, this actually might segue... <laughs> into BuzzStream as well. I mean, you can do some personalization and you can do like, you know, templates. So, I mean, is there a way to make it easier with BuzzStream to make outreach easier? Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of the product. So, the outreach piece, there's, uh, I think you nailed it when you said there's two types of personalization. One, there's understanding your segments and then creating personalized templates for each. I talked to guys like Don, Danny Ashton, who has an agency in the UK that does infographics and they do really good work. Mm -hmm. uh, he does a lot of blasts, but each blast is very personalized to the segment. So, and Justin Briggs has talked about this as well. So he sends out an email to somebody, and he, he's got an example in a post from way back. I can send a link to it where he talks about if he was promoting ZombieCom. Um, he thinks through what are the what are what does his audience look like? What do they care about? He writes a template that sounds like their voice. It's targeted at what they, he thinks through. What is it that they care about, people like this persona care about? And um, that's the template. And in, in our world, if I was going to send an email to an SEO, 
It'd be a very different email than one that I send to a PR person. Mm -hmm. They talk differently. They dress differently. They have a very different persona, and so it it, it it's it just sound. They care about different things. So the hot points, the the, the uh, primary points are going to be different. Um, and so you start with that template. The other piece to it is is knowing that you write for your blog. These are topics you've written about in the past. And so if I'm going to write to you, I want to have at my hand um, some notes that say, here's the information I know about you and the things I know you care about. If I've tweeted with you, if I've retweeted your content, shared it, I want that at hand. If we've emailed back and forth, I want that at hand. And so that's what BuzzStream does. You, you, you set it up, you plug in your email address, you plug in your Twitter ID. Um, if I added you into the contact database, if I retweet your content, it's going to show up in your contact record. If I email you or you email me, it's going to show up in your contact record. So when I reach out to you, I can just say, all right, here's my list of SEO agency guys or digital agency people. Um, here's my template for them. And I say start. On the left-hand side, I see the details about you. And on the right-hand side, I see the template. And then I just personalize it. You know, say, hey, Eric. It's been a while since we talked. Uh, really enjoying your interviews about, um, you know, entrepreneurship, et cetera, et cetera. Well, thought you might be interested in this because it covers some of the areas you've talked about. Template, boom. So that's boom. how it works. Boom! I give you a link right after that. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, okay, great answer to that. You know, thanks for. It's really obviously it's, it's a topic that you can you know go on for a long time about. So, uh, final two questions from my end. Um, you know, what's one must-read book for entrepreneurs? Ah, good question. Ooh, I, you know, if I was going to pick the one book I'd read, I'd pick um, Founders and Their Work. Um, who wrote it? It's one of the people from Y Combinator. Jessica, can't remember her name, last name, but it is phenomenal. And the thing that... Jessica, Jessica Livingston, I think. Yes, that's it. It's great. It's, she, it's phenomenal interviews of entrepreneurs. I think you start seeing some patterns among all of them, namely that the, you start what you talked about. Everybody has their point where the back's to the wall and it's like, what do we do? And you start seeing some commonalities between it. You also see the other, the it depends part. And I just, I really, really got a lot out of that book. Uh, uh, Steve Blank's book is good. Too many people read it as gospel, and a lot of it is, but it's really good. Four Steps to the Epiphany. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for people who don't have an MBA I, and, and haven't come from that background of, of always looking at it and starting and thinking in, in the eyes of the entrepreneur, it's a really, really good book. Um, it, it is, as, in many ways, it's as good as, an entre as getting an MBA for understanding customers. Wow. Those are two that I'd start with. Okay. And just to let the audience know, the Founders at Work book, I actually had a tough time finding it. Um, somehow oh. I got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you need to look harder beyond the Amazon if you really want to find it. But, you know, you, you'll somehow, if you really want it, you'll get it. Um, cool. So what's, um, what's one productivity hack you could share with the audience? Productivity hack. I'm a big believer. I, I go back and forth in it, but I, two things I do. Um, I, uh, I'm a big believer in the Pomodoro technique, which if you've never heard of it, basically the idea, it's just a little gimmicky way to motivate yourself. Um, this guy came up with this technique to where he had a little, uh, 
like egg timer with, that was in the shape of a Pomodoro tomato. He'd set it for 25 minutes, he'd go off. Um, he basically at the start of the quote unquote Pomodoro, he'd say, this is what I'm going to work on for this Pomodoro, 25 minutes, no, no distraction in that, five minute break, next Pomodoro. Mm -hmm. and, just, and you start looking at it and you start seeing what you actually did during the day. I found that to be pretty effective. There's sometimes where it doesn't work. Um, I also like a technique that, um, like, I just want to see that I got at least a couple things done during the day. Mm -hmm. Start the day off and I say, like today, I, uh, I looked at it and I said, I want to do this interview. So that was going to be one of the things that I was going to accomplish. Um, we're working on a new uh, feature or new, basically, module of Chrome extension. I wanted to finish specking out a big chunk of that. And I wanted to review the ebook that Matt is working on now. I've gotten two of those done, and now I'm going to have to go home and work on the ebook. Um, but if I start with that, I can look at it and say, "All right, just just a couple of them," because otherwise you end up with this giant list, and it mm -hmm. just overwhelms you. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I think there's this one entrepreneur. I think Jason Nazar from Docstock. He he calls the the long laundry list of things, um, shit to do, he calls them STDs. So <laughs> that's a good way to always put it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Paul, thanks so much for doing this. I mean, there's a lot, you know, a lot to take away here. I think everyone should check out Buzzstream if, if you're dealing with any type of relationships, not just reaching out, but other things as well, you know, SEO, anything like that. Um, Paul, thanks for joining us. We hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Eric. Good talking to you. Thanks.